Hello and welcome to episode two of Happy Hour Economics. My name's Matt Rosu. Hi, and I'm Jadrian Wooten. Uh, we're excited to present this podcast. So we are recording this two days before episode one is about to drop. So any feedback that you have provided on episode one, we're sorry it's not incorporated yet. Uh, but excited to be back here. Uh, between when we recorded the first and the second, certainly done a lot of work to get the first one live uh, is the biggest change that we actually have a name now uh JJ? we have a we have a name we have a twitter account we have a gmail account we have a, we've created a bunch of accounts we, we have a, we have a number of accounts and people know that we're doing this um so it's exciting and our plan we also have a plan for when these will drop um given the titles happy hour economics we figured thursday is Often at night, people, well, especially well, college students will go out for happy hour or for whatever reason. So. I think that Thursdays are a good time, right? You can listen to it on Friday. That can be your, if you're more of a morning person, that could be your your good way to start your last day of the week. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. And you are in the office today and you're feeling, you're feeling better. The family had a bout of... Things are, things are much, much better. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm coming from the office today, which means... Uh, today's drink is non-alcoholic, so I'll throw this up here. It's a uh, Virgil's hard craft, or not hard crafted, handcrafted uh, vanilla cream. So going a little lighter today, uh, mm -hmm. just so that since I am in the office, be a little yeah. safer. No, I, I I agree with that. Um, you, there's probably <laughs> as a dean, official... you should you should yeah. appreciate. Yeah. Uh, there is probably an official policy <laughs> at um, at Virginia Tech. I know at Susquehanna, there is a policy on that. Uh, I am not at my office. So I'm having, um, I'm actually having, the, the mug should give it away. It's uh, Marzoni's. Um, and I went and got a growler refill on there. Monday night, they have the discounted growler night. So uh, Patchway Pale Ale. It's an American pale ale. I cannot imagine a more different uh, drinking combination than me having a vanilla cream soda and you just pouring straight out of a growler <laughs> it's a little bit different you won last week and i'm sure that's a delicious non-alcoholic cream ale but i gotta say i think i think this week i might have uh, been been better on this month yeah i love a good vanilla cream ale yeah uh, so matt for people who are new why don't we just real quick tell each other or tell our new listeners about who we are sure so uh i've been teaching economics for over 20 years, I guess, since the first class. I'm the dean of the Sigmund Weiss School of Business at Susquehanna University, where I'm also a professor of economics. And I, I've been at Susquehanna actually since 2004. And my name is Jadrian Wooten, and I'm a collegiate faculty member at Virginia Tech and just finished up my first semester on campus. Uh, but I have been teaching economics for about a decade. So I think this is technically year... So I'd say this is year nine of like full-time permanent employment, uh, but right over a decade if you count teaching in grad school. Uh, so we'll say, I, I usually round off and say about a decade. So about half of you. Yeah. And I mean, we, we met the first, I mean, at first it was at a teaching conference. I'm sure I can't even, I can't even tell you which one. Um, you probably um, C-Tree. I think it was C-Tree in Minneapolis. Okay. I, if I, if I like go back in my notes, that's the, I think that's the furthest I remember back. Okay. Um, yeah. So met there, but then uh, we interacted a whole lot because for until just recently, you were an hour <laughs> apart and we have a center for economics, business and entrepreneurship education. Uh, um, I mean, there were other reasons that we saw each other or hung out, but I know as Dean, right, our Part of this mission of the center is to help to help K-12 teachers on new and innovative ways to teach. Part of our job is to get great people in front of the teachers. And so I was reaching out to Jadrian. I reached out many times and <laughs> appreciate it because you, I don't know how many times you came to talk to the folks there, but it, it was, it was quite a handful. And I know we really appreciated that. I don't think I ever said no. Uh, I, I very rarely say no to an opportunity to, to go speak because I get to meet new people. Uh, I get to try new foods, new restaurants, new breweries, which I always really like. Uh, even like, so this is kind of weird. Like I always thought Marzoni's was the local beer, uh, local brewery because the Marzoni's kind of near where State College was, was like, it was in Altoona. So it wasn't that close. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we actually didn't have a Marzoni's and I was like, oh, this is a cool local place that Matt likes. 
And then I think I went to Altoona and I drove by one and I was like, no, this isn't a local place. No, I mean, it's, it's, they only have four or five. So it's, it's not super local, but it's, it's handcrafted. It's good stuff. stuff. I'm trying to think of the places you and I have drank in, uh, in Sealand's Grove. We we have gone to Marzoni's. Uh, We've gone to Applebee's. I remember having a drink with you there. Applebee's. um, Uh, We went someplace in the mall. Garfield's. Was it Garfield? I think it was Garfield's. Yeah, there's uh, there's the brew pub is the most famous. I'm sure we've been there. The Sealands Grove Brewing Company. Uh, maybe there's a place downtown we went. There was like yeah, a that was it. Pla- okay, oh, okay. the seafoodie place is BJ's. Uh, okay. BJ's Ribbon Steak, and then there's Isabella's. Um, yeah, um, we, I don't keep a list. Other, of, I don't, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to think of if if there's other places I've I've had drinks in Sealands Grove. I don't think I've drank as as many different places in another city. Other than like where I've lived, right? Sure, like, sure. I, like if I've lived somewhere, that's different. But Sealand's Grove might be kind of up towards the top in terms of yeah. number of drinks I've had. We've got to be number one in something. Let's <laughs> go. So, uh, our topic today that we're covering that I'm, I'm kind of excited about, and the timing on this is quite intentional, as this is dropping just a couple of days before the New Year's, is on um, behavioral economics. What's the uh, what's the quick paragraph summary of what behavioral economics is, Jadrian? What, what would you? Okay, would so you... this one's tough, right? Like, how do you summarize an entire field of economics? Um, the way that I tell it to my students in terms of behavioral economics is I say, look, everything we've learned before, we assume that you are rational and you know exactly what you're doing. Behavioral economics is where we realize you might not know what you're doing. Uh, And so I talked to them about, in a sense of like, how do we make decisions when we aren't fully informed or uh, if we have misperceptions about ourselves or the people we're dealing with? Yeah, I think that's, that's fair. And I don't know that, I mean, I asked you, I'm not sure I I have a good sentence description. Mm -hmm. There are certain things we would teach in economics where we would assume it shouldn't matter. And but but because we're humans, it indeed would matter. Uh, one of the ones that I um, think for companies, do you is the def- what's the default on uh, benefits, the benefits that you receive? Is uh, is the default that you're automatically contributing into a retirement plan and you have to opt out of contributing, or is it the default that no, you're going to contribute zero and you just choose whatever amount you might want to contribute. In theory, it doesn't make a difference. You have total choice over what what amount you would want to, to give into your retirement plan. But in the real world, right, there's some amount that's checked as the default and people, that matters. That's been shown to matter. So I think, so one of the first times I ever came across like really behavioral economics, I, I don't remember really learning about it much in grad school, maybe a little bit as an undergrad, but like very, very little. Um, but I actually learned a lot of it my very first year at Penn State. I did an honors thesis with a student who was a health policy major and an economics major, incredibly brilliant student. Uh, she was really interested in organ donation and whether we should do an opt-in or an opt-out system. And yeah, so for those yeah. of you who don't know, the, the United States has an opt-in system. So when you go and get your driver's license, you, you have to say, I'm an organ donor. Uh, but there's a lot of other countries around the world, it's an opt-out system. They assume you're an organ donor unless you fill out the paperwork that says otherwise. And if you look at the differences in uh, do- organ donation rates, the United States is really low and these other countries are really high. So she was writing her thesis on kind of the ethics of this opt-in, opt-out system and whether like some places even have like a double opt-in system where not only do you have to check yes, once you get the card, you have to like sign it and then send it back again. Um, and so it was really fascinating. Like I had never really like gotten to learn it about any of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's weird because I went to a school that wasn't really known as a behavioral school for graduate mm-hmm. school, Iowa State, but my research moved into experimental auctions, largely as I, I presented my dissertation advisor who was also I, I was his research assistant with like 15 different ideas he was like well this one seems okay and actually I have money that we could do this I was like well well then then we have a dissertation topic it's been, and it was using experimental auctions to uh, estimate 
you know, it was experimental auctions on genetically modified food products, and it was examining how do consumers react to labels, what's the value of information, but uh, experimental economics and behavioral economics were somewhat intertwined, especially mm -hmm. at first, uh, to the actually the first Nobel Prize that went to a behavioral economist went at the same time it was co-awarded to an experimental economist. And if you ask me to name years that somebody got it, <laughs> I can name you like this one. And it was um, because it was Vernon Smith and, and Kahneman, uh, Daniel Kahneman, and it was 2002, right? And it was right after um, I got my doctorate that that one came out. Now I say that and we're gonna look it up and I was wrong in episode one or something, but uh, um, so I, I kind of, some of my research tied into that, but then I think I, I learned a lot. Honestly, I learned a lot more probably by just reading things here and there. I thought Nudge was a pretty, um, pretty good book when I read. I read Nudge pretty much right when it came out. I like. I remember reading Nudge, and I remember not loving the beginning of it, but loving the second half of it. And I it or one of those orders. I remember like yeah. one side was slow. Uh, but I remember that I really like just like the rapid fire examples of things like right loss aversion, things like framing, stuff like that. Yep, yep. And it got it, so I'm going to actually ask you this because I'm really curious about this because this is I remember this as one of the topics in the book, even though I read it so many years ago. It was about how do we help people lose weight, especially kids in cafeterias. And it's a matter of like whether you place cookies or fruits, right, like near sure, the, sure. near the cash register. Right. So those of you who don't know the story or don't know the, the topic, essentially, whatever you put near the checkout, you're going to buy more of that. So if you load it down with fruit, somebody's going to grab a fruit as they walk out. If you load it down with cookies, um, they're going to grab cookies as they walk out. And I remember that was like a hugely controversial idea that like somebody is picking fruit. And I'm curious your take on that, like whether you find that an offensive thing to do. Uh, because like I look at it and I say, well, some, you have to pick something no. like you, you have to put something at the cash register. Why is it necessarily bad that somebody picked fruit? Right? I mean, they obviously picked their preferences. Why would it be bad if somebody picked fruit at the cash register or well, the idea that uh, somebody is making a I forget the name. There's a right. There's a fancy term for it. Um, choice architecture. Right. I think that was. The, the yeah. Term. Yeah. I mean, you're. The way things are presented will certainly affect mm -hmm. what people choose. I don't think that's, I didn't find that controversial. I mean, it well, made some yeah. sense. And I think the con the controversy was that, I guess the, the norm is people put cookies, candy, snacks by the cash register. And then like, I think I remember this being like the big controversy was like some bureaucrat is changing it to fruit. I'm like, well, they got to pick something. You can't, you can't just yeah. have nothing there. No. So first, so the, the part about the book that I, I probably have the most qualms about is the idea of how much should government get involved in this? Um, and I think there's some arguments for, for, for some actions that, that are okay. Um, what they, they talk about, um, it's not paternal, libertarian paternalism, I think. Is that Paternal, the phrase yeah. that they say? Something paternalism. Yeah. Um, and so it's the idea that, look, um, you know, the government might have to do framing. They're not going to force you to make a choice, but the framing could be done in a way that helps out. I think I tend to agree with that. However, I also think there are times where there are behavioral task force that might might not might go a little way from the li libertarian paternalism to much more just paternalism. And that I have a little bit more qualms with. But Overall, I think the issues on schools, um, I mean, there was a famous study, although the, the author actually has gotten in a whole heap of issues for what p-hacking, I think is the term. Oh, this is the Cornell guy. Yeah, the soup yeah. bowl that drained. And so then you wonder, do any of the studies, um, Val, but I, I actually know somebody pretty well who's a really, really good person and a great researcher who's been part of a lot of that. And I mean, but this idea that if you're drinking from a soup bowl, they had a bunch of people from a soup bowl. Some of them were automatically designed to drain. Others weren't. Anybody could get as much as they wanted. But the ones that were automatically draining, people had more. They didn't know they were having more. They just had more. Hmm. Uh, kind of mind, it's the mindlessly eating. You know, like a group started with, um, you know, the Thaler 
tells this story about how a group of people at a party all said, we don't want to put the chips out ahead of time because we'll all want to eat them instead of, you know, they could have put the chips out and just not eaten them. But mm -hmm. if it's right there, of course, you're going to grab them. And yeah, that makes sense. We're humans. We're not robots. Um, if the chips are hiding away in a, in a, in somebody's uh, pantry, yeah, you're not going to go grab them, even if you're the host and you know where they are. You're not going to open <laughs> the door to the pantry, grab the bag, you know, steal a chip. Um, but yeah. if they're on the table, everybody will will grab one. So. so this is why I love behavioral economics and I love teaching behavioral economics. So for me, it's the very last lesson of the semester. Uh, so to give you kind of like a rough idea, my, my first lesson is like, what are the principles? And I do a little bit of decision making in the very, very beginning. And then I go through like what I would say is a fairly typical principles of microeconomics course, except I do behavioral economics at the very end. And I kind of always pitch it as like, hey, look, I just spent 14 weeks telling you this is how everybody behaves. Now let's talk about how people misbehave and they do completely weird stuff that people yeah. don't expect. Or they do unexpectedly unex unexpected things. Um, and so I always like that kind of idea behind behavioral economics is that there's these known and predictable responses that seem like they would be unpredictable. So what are the top one or two examples that you teach when you give that lesson? That's not a lesson that I typically do in principle. No. I have some other weird ones that I do that we'll save for another episode. Uh, so but... I would say that the two that I like the most, so I, I cover... I cover, I think it's taught my Krugman and Wells. They have like six predictable ones. Um, I probably can't tell you in order. I should be able to tell you in order, right? So uh, misperception of opportunity costs. So including sunk costs when you shouldn't. Um, there is uh, overconfidence uh, is one of them. There is misperceptions about time, which is why we're having this, uh, this conversation, which we can talk about in the second half of this. Uh, so misperceptions about your future self, loss aversion, status quo bias, and I'm missing a sixth yeah, that's one. Fine. That's fine. We'll have, to, we'll have to throw that up in a side note of, of put a little star by the one sure. I missed. So yeah, and I they, think, go, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, uh, mental accounting. That's the that's the sixth one. So the mental ones accounting like meaning like the human brain oh. can only do so much, and yeah. Um, no, I think it's more along the lines of like we misattribute spending and saving or the, like the way that we spend money. So like one of the examples is like when, uh, when things are 50% off, we say that we saved a hundred dollars rather than like recognizing we spent it sure, um, sure. or spending credit cards different than cash. I think so that's kind of the general mental accounting one. Okay. So my favorite ones are over, I think overconfidence. Um, and I really like, misperceptions about future self, which I think is, is closely related with overconfidence. So overconfidence, generally, um, we believe in ourselves when probably we shouldn't, uh, when like the, when we kind of know that we aren't going to do it. And so people are not just overconfident about like what they can do later, but just like if you ask people, uh, there's this great survey they've been doing for like since the 60s. Uh, and I'll try to pull it up that way we can put it on the sub stack or we can put a link inside the video. Um, if you ask people like rate your academic ability compared to others, like more than 50% say they're above average. Yeah, sure, sure. Right. So it's, it's academic ability, drive, personal looks, um, friendliness, leader, like all these measures have all just yeah. gone straight up um, since like the 1960s. And it's a great graph and I love it. And I love to talk to the students about it. It kind of stinks that it's at the end of the semester uh, because like that's always the issue with teaching freshmen is they come in overconfident about their abilities yeah. and that first exam, they kind of get slapped in the face and they're like, whoa, wait a second. Um, I need to change how I'm doing things. Yeah. yeah. But I love overconfidence. Uh, and then the second one is misperceptions about future self. So I always try to tell them it's, it's overconfidence with a time component. And so since this is coming out right before the new year, that seems like it's an appropriate uh, appropriate time to do this particular topic. I think a lot of us will sign up for new year's resolutions. Either we're gonna start going to the gym regularly, change yeah. their diet. Do you have any new year's resolutions? I don't know that I do. I, I mean, I'd like to lose a few pounds um, always. I mean, I had, and I'm, I realize I say this, I'm actually a reasonably healthy weight for my frame, but I had knee surgery. Uh, okay. Gosh, almost 15 years ago, microfracture and my each extra pound you carry 
it's mm-hmm. it's like 10 because of all the steps you take it puts a lot more stress yeah. so 10 pounds would mean a lot i mean my goal is not to have knee replacement quite frankly <laughs> and right now i can walk fine and everything and it generally yeah. doesn't hurt but that's that's important so that i would like to um i know in Jan- i know in uh, britain a lot of places do dry january mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't mind doing a dry January with one exception. Uh, I've got a trip to <laughs> Disney with um, with my wife and actually my oldest because for 20, he graduated in 2020 and he wanted mm-hmm. a Disney trip for the fan. You know, like that was the vacation to celebrate. And of course, it didn't happen. The three of us are going. He's now 21. Okay. And uh, the days were at Disney, right? Uh, exception. But I've been thinking about that. And for me, I, I don't drink. It's rare when I have more than, say, two, maybe a third. Uh, drinks in any given night but many nights I do have a beer and I enjoy that yeah. so but you know a month off of that w- would also help me get to this <laughs> yeah. weight thing too so so I'm kind of thinking about that uh how about so, you New Year's well, resolution? So, let me tell you a funny story as you just said that you have that two to three drinks a night is not unreasonable um I went for the first time ever last year to have a health checkup I've been putting it off for forever and I was like, I'm in my mid-30s now. I got to get a health checkup. checkup. So I go and I'm sitting there talking to the, the physician's assistant. She's going through the questions, right? Do you smoke? Uh, do you exercise? Uh, you know, I'm saying, no, no, I don't exercise. And then she gets to the, okay, well, how much do you drink? And I, I go, and I pause for a second. She goes, do you drink monthly, weekly? And I go, daily. Like, I was like, I have a drink every day. Um, and she like the, she turned and she was like shocked. And I was like, is that a, like, I'm in my mind, like, is that a problem? I was like, I only have like one a day. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like I'll sit outside in a hammock and I'll drink, I'll have a beer every day or I'll have a drink with, uh, with dinner. And I was like, I didn't think that was a big deal, but apparently shocking to my, uh, and this is the first time I've ever met this person too. So I think I made it worse. I did try to say, I was like, I don't have a problem. I was like, I just have a beer every day. Of course, that's what um, everybody says, right? <laughs> exactly. She's she's probably like, this guy's lying. Um, no, New Year's resolutions. Okay, yeah. So actually, yes. Yeah. So I, you know what? Technically, I think I do have a New Year's resolution. I, I do not do the traditional New Year's resolution. So I am very bad about, you know, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to change my diet. Like, I recognize I'm not going to do it. A lot of people don't, right? A lot of people go in January. I'm going to go to the gym every day. I'm going to go to the gym three times a week. And they stop after February because uh, like we don't, we're really bad at committing to stuff. Yeah. I would say the one, I don't know that it's necessarily a, a new year's resolution, but I do read 52 books a year. So okay. uh, at, yeah, the, yeah. Right, at the start of January, I always say I'm going to read 52 books this year. Um, and I've been doing that for, I don't know, for five or six years now. Um, so I, I guess that's a new year's resolution, but like, it's not, I don't think, I don't think of it as one just because like, I'm not, I'm not increasing it every year. Uh, I've made this, I've done it every single year. So it doesn't feel like. Yeah. I, I don't think of, I mean, typically a resolution is something, you know, you should do and you don't want it, want to do. And from everything right. you know about you, 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 you like reading and. Um... It's, it's like the reverse, it's like Lent, right. But Lent people actually do it. It's like New Year's resolution. Yeah. They quit after like three weeks. Lent, they try to make it 40 days. Um. Yeah, so I, I would say no, I don't have a New Year's resolution, but I also know myself well enough to know that I would quit, so I don't do it. The question then, how does behavioral economics help in terms of not quitting? Mm-hmm. Uh, so have you ever done a weight loss bed? Mm-hmm. By chance? Uh, I've done one. And I've actually, no. I've done them with other people, and I've actually done it with my students to illustrate behavioral economics. Okay. Because No, I don't think I have. So in theory, right, this is a case where, um, you know, if you just want to lose weight, you could just say, okay, I'm going to lose weight. But then, of course, it can be tricky not to. In theory, you're better off doing that than than telling a group of students, if I don't lose these 10 pounds, I'm going to pay $100 to somebody in this class. Mm-hmm. And I could just try to lose weight without telling you this, but but I am going to, if I don't, and I, I've done this, I actually did this with a class that uh, had a set weight I wanted to get to and said, same story, right? I, um, this is this is for me to, you know, I want to be healthy and want to be able to walk, 
you know, and all, you know, I had knee surgery a while ago. So, and I told the class, so if I, if, um, you know, if, and I'll let you decide how it's split up. I can give a hundred to one person. We could, you know, split it up 20 ways. I don't teach hundreds, but it'd be 20 <laughs> people or, you know, or you could do a drawing where five people get 20 bucks. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll tell them, look at the beginning, because I'm doing this, there's very little chance I'm failing. Mm because yeah. <laughs> it's not even the money. I mean, I don't want to lose a hundred dollars, but the idea of handing over a hundred because I couldn't succeed yeah. in this would kill me. And the yeah. couple times I've done it, it's always, uh, I've always succeeded. Always. It's well, not even been close. So, so these, this is actually, I think one of my favorite things about behavioral economics. So what you just said right there. So that, for those of you listening, that's a commitment device. It's no, a, no. it's a way to make sure that somebody commits to what they're doing. But like the way that you actually framed that is really good because you linked it to another one of the behavioral economics ideas is loss aversion. It's this idea that I don't want to lose this hundred dollars to someone else. Um, it, like yeah. you very easily could have set it up as like, hey, if I make this goal, I will reward myself with a one hundred dollar steak for dinner. And partway through, you'd be like, I don't really need that. And like it, right. It's that same kind of yeah. mindset. Like, yeah. oh, I don't need a, I don't need a hundred dollar dinner, but I will not lose $100. So what is it? So there's, I mean, so, so if I'm going to do this resolution, right. Like um, the idea, let's say I'm going to do, I'll do dry January. Um, okay. And except I, I, I get a, I get a Florida <laughs> exception from when the day, the times I'm in Florida, um, the uh, you know, maybe it could, you know, comment on this video, you know, comment on this video or on this podcast or on our Substack or on any of the social media where we promote it. And if I don't succeed, I'll give one somebody who comments a hundred dollars. Can I, can I also chime in and say, I don't think you're going to do it. And can I get, can I be part of the participation? Sure. You could comment in there. Yes. But okay. I think um, once again, given the hundred dollars would kill me. So I, I would likely, I, I would be pretty sure I'd succeed once we set up the ground rules and the date and everything. So what's another commitment device that, so if somebody else is thinking, you know, they want to lose weight, but maybe they don't, maybe they're not willing to give up a hundred dollars. Can you think of another commitment device that could get somebody into the gym on a treadmill, something like that? And most of the ones I've thought of are for money, even if it's not yeah. that much, um, you know, it doesn't have to be a hundred dollars. Give somebody $10 and say, let's say they're a, a big, Republican, they'll send it off to, um, you know, the Bernie Sanders, elect Bernie Sanders fund, or if they're a big Democrat, send it to Trump for America or something, right? I mean, so you I, know, that's I know, a smaller amount of funds, but I, I know of another one. This was on um, an ABC primetime episode about game theory. Uh, it was a mix. So half the show I absolutely love. It's about uh, throwing a bunch of strangers in New York. They have to find each other. So there's like a game theory component. The other half is about behavioral economics. They talk about weight loss as one of the goals. Uh, the commitment device they do on there, they had a bunch of people who said they wanted to lose weight. Uh, they photographed all of them in their underwear. And they told them if they do not lose weight, that they would broadcast those photos on ABC primetime on no. nationwide television. No kidding. If, if they did not lose weight. So that for me would be an incredible motivation to lose weight. Um, so right, shame is, a, is another commitment device. So making some sort of public embarrassment could also could do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, you're forced to, like, how do you commit where the person has to follow through? I mean, it's rare where you'll have mm -hmm. a primetime show or something. Sure. But yeah, if somebody doesn't you want put on, to... You could put on Facebook, right? You have yeah. enough, you have enough friends and family that uh, you do not want to see, they do not want to see you that way. Sure, sure. You don't want them to see you that way. I mean, it could be if, you know, if somebody's forced to sing, although then, you know, you've got to actually go through, somebody else has to exert the cost to try to get them to do this thing they really don't want at the end. So, so there's that one. Um, and then I, there's another, there's a couple other ones. I've heard of these. I've never actually looked into it. Um, there is a company. It's either, it's either an app or a web. I'm fairly, it's, it's got to be an app based off of how I summarize this. Um, you sign up, you link your bank account with it. So this is going to be a money one. Uh, you link your bank account with it and you have to turn your location on and actually check into the gym for at least 30 minutes, you know, four days. Like you set the parameters of how yeah, often yeah, you want yeah. to be there. Um, and if you don't do it, 
each week they deduct money out of your bank account. Uh, so okay. they don't do it as like an all or nothing, but it's a, Hey, you didn't, you, you only went three times this week, minus $50. Uh, and they just take it away. And, but then they, I think they set it up where it has those extra things, right? Like if you're a, if you're a, if you're a Democrat, like they'll donate it to like the NRA. Uh, and so like, yeah, yeah. you you could pick where the money goes as well. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a number of those um, kind of commitment mechanisms are pretty fascinating to think through. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's part of the reason like on a particular day, if I'm thinking I could work from home for a couple hours or go into the office, you drive to go into the office it's a bit of a commitment mechanism or i'm mm-hmm. fine i i work out in my basement a fair amount um you know just do we have a treadmill or do like a p90x videos for anybody who mm-hmm. knows uh, knows and loves tony horton but those are old the, yeah well they're they're old yeah they're the originals all the way through the most current ones yeah he's not i he's not doing well anymore but those videos mm-hmm. still work for me at least um but the um some people right driving to the gym you know you're never going to drive to the gym and then stay for five minutes whereas you can walk to your basement "Ah, i'm not feeling this today and then just go upstairs after five minutes so that's uh that's a pretty that's a commitment mechanism in the sense that you feel like you've really wasted time if you take a drive to the gym and come back after just a few minutes it's not dealing with like a weight loss bet which is Mm -hmm. the typical new year's eve thing but gym memberships, right? They they skyrocket right after, and then people stop using them. So, what's a way so, to keep people going to the gym other yeah. than than money? Have you uh, listened to the NPR podcast about the behavioral economics of Planet Fitness? I'm guilty of this, so okay. I don't know that I have. I'm not certain that I have listened okay. to this one. So I assign it to my students. I'm gonna I'm gonna pour myself a little bit more for this one too. Uh, I assign it to my students as their podcast for the very end of the semester. Have you ever had a Planet Fitness or any similar gym membership? No. And I mean, we have a free membership to the SU gym. So so I had a Planet Fitness. Same idea. I, I, I live next to a Planet Fitness. I was like, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get a gym membership. Um, so for those of you who have never done this, so the math will be perfect. I could teach you, but we can also teach anyone who's listening. Uh, Planet Fitness, shockingly cheap gym membership. Like if you just want the basic, just you... I, I want to say it's like $5 a month, $10 okay. a month. It's so, so cheap. But their catch is they make it so incredibly cheap uh, and incredibly difficult to cancel. Uh, so if you sign up, they, they'll have like no sign up fees, all sorts, all sorts of to get you in there. Um, and it's $5 a month. But then like right, at some point, you're going to, you might quit, right? That's kind of the whole idea of the behavioral you know, we're overconfident about our future selves. Like I'll go to the gym for a month and a half and then stop going. So the idea of what they do is they set the bar super, super low, way cheap compared to a normal gym. Uh, if the hopes that you just never remember it or you forget about it. Um, yeah. And that in order to cancel it, you can't call them and cancel it. You cannot cancel it online. You have to go to the gym in order to cancel it. So the only way to cancel the membership is to do something you haven't been doing, which yeah. is to go to the chip. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. There is a um, there's a friends episode where they want to cancel. You know, I think I think it's either Chandler or Joey wants to cancel, and they keep trotting out basically for Chandler and Joey. They trot out beautiful women in front of them. Yeah. Why would you want to cancel? And then they end up with some enhanced um, things. So they were going to then cancel their bank you know quit switch banks and of course the bank does the same thing and <laughs> yeah um but no that that's interesting uh i'll do a shout out here for anybody who's in or around sealands grove um we actually have a planet money reporter and author of the bond mm-hmm. king mary childs um for a book that's a great book if you need a okay. book recommendation it can be one of your 52 for yeah. the next year uh she's coming to campus on wednesday april 17th 2023 so for anybody who's watching or listening and you're oh, she'll it'll be open to the public and should be a fascinating talk so but so i on that on that plant money example i had my gym membership for like a full year i just paid them five dollars a month and i wouldn't i would not go in and cancel it uh one good thing that came out of out of the pandemic uh they removed that policy we were allowed to cancel it over the phone because they didn't want people coming into the gym no kidding 
That's that was how I got out of it. That's fascinating. Um, the uh, yeah, there's it's a lot of uh, it's interesting things. If you have a, I think the kind of the lesson, if you have a New Year's resolution that you think is important, what's something? What's some commitment device you can give to it? Like, what's something you would lose if you give it up? If you if you give up your your idea and and who would hold you to that? Uh, maybe we should offer commitment devices for them and just say, look, you know, post your new year's resolution. Yeah. We'll check in with you in a month, two months, or, you know, whatever the goal is. Uh, and if you lose, you yeah. have to send, you have to send us some money. You could either, well, you, ideally, <laughs> yeah, you have to send us money or you could send we'll us take that your money photo you don't want to post or whatever it is. Right. Um, uh, we could be the, we could be the commitment mechanism mm-hmm. for that, but I'm, the, I'm really curious if there's other, like what, like either actually i'm curious about what things people commit to that are not like diet related health related you know weight related but i'm also really curious if people have really creative commitment devices yeah uh i guess that's something please leave it in the comments if you have something that'd be kind of cool to hear everybody's what if you have a resolution what is it mm-hmm. and, and <clears throat> well by the time i mean some of you will see this before or listen to this before uh, new year's eve some of it, it might be after if it's say a week or two weeks or a month after and you had one and you failed. And you quit, and you quit already. Let, it... let us know how long it lasted, right? Because um, I know the average is not very long, I think. Um, no. So, well, we, we always like to have, uh, so we always like to have, we're in episode two, but our goal is to end um, both. T- well, we want to talk about papers, but also about pop culture. And we're going to combine these this time to talk a little bit about K-pop. So, Jaden, you had a paper come out. Was it uh, was it last year or was it 2020 on uh, using uh, K-pop to teach? Do you wanna... I would say last year. Let's go with last year. Um, and thankfully, one of the songs is about behavioral economics. Uh, so let me save mine because mine is connected back to our talk. Uh, so let's have you go first because you just finished uh, a new video on the closure of the K-pop Broadway show. Yeah, we're recording this on Tuesday, December 13th, and on the 11th, the K-pop musical uh, closed. The timing of it was kind of fascinating, uh, because Wednesday the 7th, yeah, it would have been Wednesday the 7th is when they announced it. Mm -hmm. To announce that you're closing, and then close in four days in December is somewhat rare, although I just heard of a second show that's doing it, which tells you they were doing really, really poorly uh, by Wait, contract. So for, okay. for people who don't know, we should probably tell people what K-pop is. We assume, yeah. we know what it is, but maybe we should actually describe it for people. So K-pop is just the shorthand for Korean pop, the genre of, uh, genre of music by Korean pop stars. Can, BTS can is the... BTS? B, that's, the, that's the band I can name. I'm, I'm guessing, okay. I know you've gone into this, you could probably name a whole lot more. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if I can name some that many more. Okay, so for those of you who have never heard K-pop, um, it is it's it's pop music. It's uh it's usually lots of instrumentals. Uh, sometimes it's sung in English, sometimes it's sung in Korea, and it doesn't have to just be in Korean. Uh, BTS is probably the most famous current K-pop group. Uh, number one hits, Billboard albums, Time. I think they were Time group of the year musician of the they year. were on like saturday two. night live I know. yeah right like bts is the massive one uh blackpink is huge okay. uh so that's kind of like the girl band version um of that but also like top selling female artist group played at coachella all sorts of stuff hmm. um those of you who are not familiar with current k-pop might remember some older k-pop do you know the you i i bet you know the older k-pop massive mega worldwide hit by Psy is his name. Oh, the Gangnam Style. G- Gangnam Style. K-pop. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's considered K pop. So uh, if you haven't heard the new stuff, Gangnam Style, uh, that yeah, kind of yeah. hit viral song was also one of them. I, we used to have, uh, we had Just Dance, whatever it was for. And we mm-hmm. paid X, we paid the dollar to get that. And so I've actually done the just dance version of that with the Wii. Uh, so, so maybe, uh, maybe that's that a video that was not recorded, but would have been a bad commitment mechanism. I was gonna say that should be your commitment. Yeah, we have to, we'll just post that video. Yeah, that, um, that would be pretty bad. 
but so let me give some people some some context of just how big K-pop is. And then I think that also helps with how shocking this closure actually is. Um, so I just pulled up Spotify's 2022 most streamed global artists, right? So like this is, I mean, globally, not just in the United States, but uh, around the world, Taylor Swift comes in at number two, right? And with the massive year that she's had, uh, she's ranked number two. Granted, Bad Bunny's number one. Or it's not K-pop is number one, but BTS is number five. Okay. And so when you're thinking about kind of like worldwide phenom, um, BTS is up there as most streamed. Uh, they're number four on the most viral artists. Uh, I'm kind of scrolling through to see if I see BTS pop up anywhere else. Uh, but I know, I think like in 2021, like they were ahead of Taylor Swift. Yeah, uh, so yeah. some years they're higher, some years they're lower. Uh, but those of you who don't know, B- K-pop, absolutely massive. Yeah, absolutely huge. So the grosses for this the show were stunningly low. But for Broadway shows, their single most lucrative week is the week between Christmas and, and goes through New Year's Eve. It's a lot, a number of people will travel to New York City. And then, of course, you've got tens of millions of people within an hour or so of the city who might choose, oh, we've got a week off. Let's let's go see a show or two. Um, it is, it's the time where it, it's the most lucrative week, right? You can make a fortune that particular week. They were doing so poorly that they had two weeks left and they figured it's not worth waiting. Let's just close right now. And if, if you look, um, and we'll put a link to this, but Broadway... The Broadway, I think it's the Broadway League, releases the grosses for every single show. It was below, it averaged over the past um, basically 10 weeks or so under 150000 a week, which you probably need to be at about half a million a week most of the time just to survive. I think they had 22 actors in the show. Broadway minimum is about 2500 a week. For those individuals and salary but then there will be all the benefits and then of course you need just all the other people so to run the show even though this was a smaller theater i mean it probably has five it was probably half a million plus in in running costs um and so they were so far below it's a little bit shocking although i mean if you're thinking what's the typical broadway audience it's probably um 50 50 plus year olds um <laughs> and the Venn diagram that shows people over 50 and K-pop fanatics. I mean, I'm sure there's a small overlap, but it's not a massive overlap. So mm-hmm. the people with the most purchasing power and the biggest Broadway fans just weren't this market. By contrast, so that musical actually got reasonably good reviews. Um, in contrast, the Neil Diamond musical is much more mixed in reviews. But, you know, once again... Think the audience, people over 50 are the ones who have a lot of money and typically go, it's the Neil Diamond musical. They're going to play Sweet Caroline. And it's it's doing reasonably well. Um, and that one, uh, even despite criti- you know, the critics actually not liking that as much, it's, uh, it's selling much better and has not, I don't know when they might choose to close, but there's certainly no, there's been no announcement of that and they'll, they'll be around for a while. Oh, that's so you uh you made a comment earlier i'm gonna see if you i want to make sure you explain it for everybody who's listening or watching uh you said they still have two more weeks of their kind of rent out of the of the theater but they chose to close instead Did you say something like no that? Oh, okay. no no i think i think i mean i don't know their details on that but okay they would cho- they chose um to close on the 13th mm-hmm. when all they had to do was last 12 more days and then okay. the most lucrative week of the year was ah uh, okay. So, so they with, figured they're going to lose yet. so much in the next twelve days. It's not worth. They would not recoup it by staying open okay. the most single most lucrative week of the year for Broadway awesome. shows. So the Broadway, um, the average show grosses about fifty percent more. Okay. That that particular that week. week. I mean, it's just an absolute windfall. Most Broadway shows sell their tickets at discounts, various mm-hmm. times. I mean, that's just a week. Instead of 50% discounts, you might get a 20% discount or um, sometimes you won't get one because the, you know, everybody wants to go see a show and the shows are just sold out. So therefore making quite a bit more money. Man, I was going to try to get you to talk that into a sunk cost example 
Oh, uh, so that you can say, right? It doesn't matter what they've paid before. Just go ahead and shut it down. But yeah, realistically, they probably have a lease on the theater for the rest of them. I would have, I would imagine they have a monthly lease. I mean, I, I can't. I don't know. I, I don't know exactly how it goes. Um, you could probably argue, though, that the variable costs are exceeding the fixed costs anyway. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So it's right. That's the right way to do it. Just yeah. whatever I, you I'm had sure. invested is gone. I'm sure if they're closing, it's just it's the magnitude of the money they're losing variable wise. But there's a, there's yeah. a significant fixed cost in starting it up, right? I mean, the author yeah. had to come up with all of this. There's all of the training with the individuals that you you know you have to pay to get them up to speed to to start on Broadway. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's there's a significant you know you've got to do all of the sets and the construction. So there is a significant amount of fixed costs that are now. You know, there's there's costs that are now sunk, that yeah. indeed should be ignored. Um, should be, which should be. but people have a really hard time of doing that. See, I was I was trying to loop it back into behavioral economics. That way, we were we were on the same topic. Um, so I could do mine. So I, I you know I really should know the answer to this, but I'm going to say last year, um, I joined a couple colleagues uh, from Australia. So Wayne was kind of the Wayne Gearling. Uh, was kind of the main person who connected me. And then we worked with, uh, uh, I've worked off and on with like his graduate assistants and at different places. But uh, Wayne and I put together a teaching guide for how you can kind of easily weave in K-pop into your classroom. Yep. Uh, and I think it's called like teaching I, economics with K-pop. We're not very creative with titles. Diversifying the use of pop culture uh, in the classroom using K-pop to teach principles of economics. And you were right. Yes. It was last revised February 25th, according to SSRN. See, Wayne, Wayne and I are not great at uh, at coming up with these titles, um, but right, we're, we're direct. Um, so yeah, it was published in the International Review of Economics Education. Uh, this got published right before I became an editor there. So I think, I, I think that's a really good sign that I published a paper and then they decided to invite me to be an editor. So I will say I, it was before I became an editor. Um, but we, Wayne and I had talked, and part of the reason we wanted to do the project was, you know, him and I use a lot of pop culture, you use a lot of pop culture, and we realized that our pop culture was very much aligned with, and this I think goes back to your, your Broadway comment, it's aligned with the things that I like, which is generally um, shows that were produced in the United States with a relatively large white cast, and they're speaking English, uh, because that's who I am. Um, and so him and I recognized, like, we're missing a lot of really good stuff that is happening in other countries. I think like if I, even before I kind of started talking to Wayne about this, um, I, I guess I should ask you, do you have any, I guess pre, before you heard Wayne and I talking about it, did you have any pop culture clips that you got from like overseas, international stuff? Um, I mean, Golden Balls. Yeah, right. So, so that's, so those, that's Britain, a, right? A um, British game show. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they certainly have um, a diverse mix of songs, you know, like mm -hmm. diversity represented in the people and the songs that I would play. But uh, from overseas, probably not very many. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't think of one. So it's certainly yeah. not very many. And it might, the answer might indeed be zero. Mine is, if, if not zero, it's like one. Um, and I probably use like dozens of pop culture songs, all, all sorts of stuff. Yep, yep. So we had found even an article that I think it, I don't remember the name of it, but it was uh, 50 years of great songs to teach economics. And if you go through and look at the songs that they highlight, it's artists from the United States, Canada, United Kingdom, and Australia. Like it was the same, right? The Anglosphere, um, which yep, again, yep. that's what uh, we speak English. That's what we're used to. Um, and so Wayne and I were like, hey, can is there some way that we could do something different? So this was the yeah. start of a series of papers. Uh, and so we, we went with K-pop first because it's that like, kind of what we talked about earlier, big global phenomena in terms of yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of just power across the country. So one of the clips, uh, and the, I, I can talk about it briefly, but right, we can post a link inside the Substack and in the YouTube channel. Uh, it's Blackpink is the name of the group. So that's the, the female, big female group. Uh, and the name of the song uh, is called Kill This Love. Uh, and so it is purely about sunk costs. 
Um, and kind of the whole story behind the song is about how things aren't going well, nothing's going right, they're falling out of love with each other. Uh, and what they should do is, and it's over and over, is kill this love. Like it's time to end this relationship. Yeah. Stop doing something that's not working out really uh, the way that you expect it to. Yeah. So we like that song as like an example of uh, of sunk costs and how people make poor decisions yeah. about sunk costs. Uh, so that's in the paper, but it's a good song to listen to. It's also very, very catchy. So we like that one. Yeah, that's cool. And I mean, it ties ties a little bit into behavioral economics, as we say. Exactly. So, so, so yeah, it's a good paper. We'll, second. we'll put a we can put a link into the description on on that one. Well, it's been. Uh, it's been fun chatting again and uh, awesome. appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, Jadrian, any closing words of wisdom as everybody who's listening to this is uh, about to uh, approach 2023? No, but I will say if you're going to do a dry January, my Virgil's handcrafted uh, vanilla cream, this is not an ad. We're not getting paid for this, um, but it was good. Okay. Uh, it was actually, yeah. I like vanilla cream. Um, they had a cream, they had a vanilla cream and a root beer, uh, a little sweet, uh, but it says it has cane sugar, so maybe that that might be why. It's pretty good. So that's good. I might. I, I might try. Kroger. At, at at this moment, I'm probably still doing. I, I think the plan is, you know, dry January asterisk. You know, is, <laughs> is what we would call it. But um, the, uh, you know, the, it's a good way to a good way to lose lose a little bit of weight and and try something. The Brits have done that for a while, and I'm like, and I've gone over to I've gone over to England in January, and I've been like, wow. Uh, I know, I know what pub culture is over there. And yeah. that's, those are the decisions. This is a big deal. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I guess the next, um, the next time we record might be before that, but on episode four, you'll find, get the update on, on what's happened. So. They, they've got to stick around, right? So they've got to subscribe and make sure that they're following along to see yeah. if you actually make it. Yeah. So thanks to everybody who, who did watch this. Once again, we would love comments. Um, on what we can improve and uh, whether you, you know, anything we can do better, let us know. Uh, I guess now we're committed for at least four episodes. <laughs> exactly. And, we got to find out if your commitment device actually works out. Yeah. Um, we could make it a commitment device. So why don't we, why don't we say it here, right? I'll, I'll make that a commitment device. So uh, I will be doing that outside the four days through January. So if, um, if if you'd like a, your shot at my hundred dollars, you've got to leave a comment on LinkedIn or on Twitter, on um, on the YouTube comments. Leave it anywhere. You know we can track all of them down. Mm -hmm. But by by having this out there, right, it would absolutely just kill me to to have to hand over that money. So, so I I, th I think I'm going to be okay. But awesome, we'll get the update. Good luck, Matt. Well, thank you, thank you. Well, <laughs> happy New Year, Jadrian, and happy New Year to everybody listening. And we'll. Uh, look forward to, we'll see you in the next episode. All right. Bye everyone.